Hi guys, welcome to No Way Jose. I'm Clayton Markham. And I'm Esther Jose. We are both foodies and we love sharing food with each other. We want to now share our love of sharing food with you. Yes, we do. We do, we do. We, um... We also, though, um, I think know more than the average bear about nutrition, and we think about what we're putting into our bodies, and so we wanted to focus this episode on that. We have both done diets, taken things out of our diets, Mm -hmm. and we have both read one book each on Mm -hmm. nutrition. Yes. (laughs) um, Yeah, that is something we definitely think about. Yeah, we have our own little expertises. Um, we're not perfect. <laughs> no. I have a huge sweet tooth and Esther, I know, have an everything tooth. <laughs> <laughs> a bag of chips is no match for Esther. Um, but we want to share a little bit with you of the need to know nutrition facts that, um, that we think are very important. Um, I'm going to come at this today, a little bit of an angle, um, with my personality is very much one of all or nothing. I like to be 100% working or 100% relaxing. Um, <laughs> I am terrible at multitasking. And it, that just um, manifests itself in so many ways in my life. One of which is it's uh, less stressful for me to cut out a food completely for my diet rather than trying to limit it um, to some degree. Um, but it, Esther, you've you found the opposite. Yes. So wait, is it hard for you to limit it? Like it, like you just end up eating a lot of it anyway, or it's physically or mentally hard for you to do the in between thing. Um, I think I think it's hard for me to when I when I make changes. Um, throughout my life, I, I'm I'm good. I'm have very good willpower. Okay. Like I can only eat. Um, I set very arbitrary rules for myself. Like I'm gonna have five M and M's. Why five? I don't know. <laughs> but I just set silly little rules. Um. And like every time I eat this food, I have to have this with it. And that's kind of how I operate. So I need, when one of those rules is to cut something out or not, um, and, and if it's not a rule, if it's gotcha. a guideline, it's harder for me huh. to do things. But but like it's not like I eat all sweets or no sweets. Like I'm things I've been doing my whole life, I'm good at um, moderating. Yeah, and not having a six set rule. So I am a rule follower. But for some reason, rules with food um, have stressed me out in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the book I read, and Clayton will talk about his book in a little bit, but the book I read was called Wheat Belly. And it talks about how wheat is essentially not what it was. Um, so it's changed so much and has less nutrients and good stuff and more, you know, just carbs. A and B, it's more processed, and C, we don't do as much physical labor that requires that much, like, just straight-up carbohydrates. So we shouldn't Mm -hmm. be eating a lot of wheat, plus um, gluten in modern forms of wheat's not super digestible, and that's, it's called wheat belly, because essentially he thinks, the author thinks that most of our modern-day diseases, like obesity and heart disease, are caused by eating so much wheat. Yeah. So... Um, I decided to go wheat-free for about a month. I mean, I, I decided to go wheat-free. Uh, I ended in about a month, I think. And it was because I was living on campus at the time, and I was busy, and uh, I was also eating a lot of on-campus food. 
and most of you listeners will know that like you don't have a lot of choices when it comes to that stuff and I was so stressed because I was always like I now either have the option to eat the same thing that I ate like the last two days or eat something I don't like and food gives me so much joy I mean, I was literally clapping eating earlier, and Clayton pointed that out, so <laughs> food brings me so much joy, um, or I would just, like, have to cook at the end of a very long day, and none of those options were good, and I was so yeah. stressed out that one day, one fine day, <laughs> I literally hadn't planned to end it, but I came downstairs to some event, and someone had brought home-cooked mac and cheese, and I just went crazy. <laughs> I just dug in. Yeah. My body was not used to mac and cheese after a month, so it did not deal well with that at all. Oof. But Esther's <laughs> <stretch> poor toilet. <laughs> um, so ever since then, I have been a very. I still try to eat very little, like wheat and gluten, um, yeah. and I have been trying to include more healthy habits and less dairy. And we'll talk about dairy and yeah. stuff later, but and all that stuff. But I'm a moderation person because mm-hmm. hard and fast rules make me upset because that means I can't eat mac and cheese and. Like I was telling him later, what's the point of life, man? Yeah, you gotta you gotta do what makes you happy. If something is stressing out more, it's likely not worth it. Um, and uh, you should be doing it for you and no one else. And mm-hmm. there's no one size fits all. Even the author of my book, who um, is fully plant based and very passionate about what he talks about in the book, um, doesn't talk a lot about what to eat. He talk he gives the facts and then wants to leave it up to each person to decide what to eat because that's very personal. Everyone's palate and taste buds are different. So you gotta find your And digestive systems. And digestive systems. Yes. And people some people have allergies and some people are bodybuilders, some are dancers and you know Mm-hmm. And yeah. Some are men and some are women. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> so, one of the most um, uh, predominant differences. Yeah. I would keep all of that in mind and we are talking in the light of all of these complexities um Mm -hmm. as imperfect people who have done a lot of personal research into food yeah 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 okay well i'm gonna start off um with my book that um really opened my eyes to a, a lot of things it's called how not to die by dr michael greger and basically, the um, uh, book is founded on um, presenting a lot of information on how eating a diet um, rich in veggies and fruits and seeds and plant-based foods um, can help prevent, arrest, and even reverse, in some cases, your risk for the top 15 leading causes of death in the United States. And on the flip side of that, eating a lot of meat and Uh, animal products and sweets, you know, only uh, advances your risk for those diseases. Um, So I, um, there's so much in this book, and I highly recommend reading it. Um, (laughs) Have it sitting next to me. It's, um, it looks thicker than it is, because there's a lot of references. It's all based on um, peer-reviewed studies and and things. So I highly recommend, but I'm going to share with you guys Um, some of the coolest things that I picked out of this and some of the most applicable I feel. So one thing that I learned is how you prepare your food matters, not just what you eat. Um, And often um, what one of the big ones is when you are cooking with high dry heat methods like pan frying or grilling, 
this produces um, fumes that are um, uh, carcinogenic. Um, they, if, um, they can produce polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are one of the carcinogens in cigarette smoke. Um, and this increases, as well as um, advanced glycation end products. Um, and and these, these uh, fumes increase your risk for diseases such as lung cancer and Alzheimer's. Um, and so, so basically you want to try and avoid cooking food and, um, uh, and, and more so it's, it's much worse for when you, you're frying chicken versus broccoli, but still you want to avoid frying in general. Um, and you want to switch to low heat, uh, wet cooking methods like steaming and stewing when possible. So when you say dry heat, that doesn't just mean like completely dry like grilling but even adding some oil and, and like yeah like pan frying it is still yeah. bad it's still gonna produce those carcinogens exactly wait so you can't sear stuff huh you know like when you sear meat oh sear meat yeah and i mean that burntness oh. that's that's the carcinogenic uh, am i saying that right carcinogenic yeah part really um it's it's from uh that high temperature and the burning of the meat like that yeah huh that's what is not so good they've they found that um uh, women who are exposed to um grilling in their third trimester give birth to smaller babies and lots of things yeah i thought that was crazy because you know grilling is such a big part of american culture and thankfully i didn't grow up around a lot of grilling (laughs) Yeah, yeah. People who live behind um, Chinese restaurants oh. are found to have higher, um, higher risk for certain diseases. Interesting. Don't stuff. live near Chinese restaurants, no. people. That's <laughs> that is one of the most specific recommendations we will give today. The other one is um, antioxidants. Um, I I've heard this buzzword a lot but I never really knew what they were and never realized how obvious it was. An antioxidant is quite simply a um, food that prevent, uh, prevents oxidation. Um, and in the process, it uh, basically stops um, a, certain um, free radicals from breaking apart your DNA and increasing your cancer risk. <laughs> so oxidation is actually what makes you old. Yes. Um, so essentially antioxidants also reverse that. But I mean, oxidation ruins all kinds of things. Rust is mm-hmm. a type of oxidation. And if you've studied chemistry, you know the redox reaction. Oxidation happens everywhere. It's a very common reaction. Yeah. Um, but the cool way to think about this is quite unrelated to food. But mm-hmm. um, every... Um, Essentially, when people die of old age, they're just dying of oxidation because your cells getting old and your skin getting wrinkled and all that happening is just oxidation happening. Um, so essentially, you can't live without oxygen, but also you breathing in oxygen is also killing you. Yeah. Life is great. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Yes. Yeah, no, that's exactly what is talked about in my book. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, basically the theory is, is that you, uh, rust mm-hmm. to death. Um, mm-hmm. that is what dying from old age is. Um, not literally, but <laughs> yeah, not literally. I should be careful with the word literally, but yeah, the, the brown splotches that old people get on their skin and mm-hmm. everything the wrinkles. Yeah. 
uh, sulfur oxidation. So antioxidants uh, help stop, slow that and stop that. Um, and what I learned in this, this book is that the color in food are the antioxidants hmm. um, in, in produce specifically because the junk food industry often takes advantage of this. And we are naturally programmed to be like, ooh, red pepper. Let me eat that. But the same thing when we see a pack of Skittles. So that's, a, that's not the same thing. We're talking produce here. Um, so the more colorful a food is, um, the, the better it is for you. And a lot of people know this by conventional wisdom, even if they don't know the science behind it. You were talking about earlier, Esther, how you know that um, red rice and brown rice are healthier <laughs> for you than yes. white rice. I was complaining to him <laughs> because my mom is such a health nut. Maybe that's where I get all of this mm-hmm. from. Your mom is a little bit of a health nut yeah, too, right? Yeah, we yeah. Both, we both grew up eating healthy. Yeah, um, but I was complaining about how my mom would literally use anything other than white rice because she was a huge advocate for avoiding as much white stuff, mm-hmm. potatoes, rice, sugar, salt. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was complaining about how I was always eating red rice and millets <laughs> instead of just plain white rice. Yeah, yeah. You don't, with, with all this stuff, you don't want to get to a point where you crack. Yes. It needs to be yeah. sustainable because if you all never let yourself eat butter and then one day you're just eating a <laughs> stick of butter, that's no, you, when you know you've gone too far. Yeah. But yeah. Sweet potatoes, better for you than white potatoes. Mm-hmm. Red cabbage, which is um, the actually the uh, in American supermarkets, the uh, cheapest, um, how do I say this? It has the most antioxidants per dollar of any food in the supermarket. Wow. Red cabbage. So we talk about turmeric a lot because mm-hmm. we cook with turmeric. Fun fact, if you put turmeric in red cabbage, it turns alien disgusting green. So if anyone's making red cabbage and you're a fan of turmeric, don't mix that. <laughs> I mean, it tastes the same, but it looks so gross. Oh, just saying. Yeah, well, I'll eat anything. Um, <laughs> so, um, and and also along that same line, you can tell what the antioxidant capacity of a fruit or veggie is by how quickly it browns. Because quite literally, like we've said, the antioxidants are what prevent the food from browning and rusting. Um, so an apple, banana, those brown very quickly, but a uh, blackberry or a blueberry, those do not. And those have a way higher antioxidant capacity. So that's one way to gauge it. If you're shopping in the supermarket, man, apples literally brown when you like bite into them, you bite into it. And before you eat the rest of the apple, (laughs) this thing is all brown. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, you, you turn around, you look back and it's brown. Um, but apples, the apple a day keeps the doctor away. This book um, totally uh, says that's that's completely true. So apples are very good, just not a huge source of antioxidants. So the takeaway from this is eat a lot of Skittles and Fruit Loops because color is better for you. <laughs> Esther, you're gonna <laughs> if President Trump can tell people to drink bleach and they do it, someone out there is gonna do that now. <laughs> and I'll just say um, that spices are the most concentrated form of antioxidants. Esther mentioned turmeric which is the spice. It's, it, it, um, it's, it's magic, essentially, jam-packed with antioxidants and reduces your risk for brain disease, lung disease, and so many cancers. Alzheimer's. Yeah, and so many cancers that are so predominant here are not in India because of the diet being because so rich in turmeric. Because we put turmeric in everything, which means that most of my spatulas are just yellow. Mm-hmm. We also actually put turmeric on ourselves a lot. 
Mm. One of the wedding rituals is like a turmeric mask everywhere. And growing up, a lot of people back home put turmeric on their like arms and legs because if you put a anti-inflammatory, like, it's right? anti-inflammatory, yeah. and also lightens your skin. Not like in a bleach lighten your skin way, but in mm. a um, because of its antioxidants, it like reduces dark spots, like sunspots and stuff. Mm. Like it makes your skin um, healthier, which yeah. makes it lighter. And the most important thing is if like let's say between like the ages of six or and like 12 um, or like any six year period you've been regularly applying turmeric mixed with water on your skin and then washing it off your skin will just become hairless whoa yes <laughs> so like my mom was very stubborn when she was young and she wouldn't do it or she was lazy but like her siblings would and my Aunts like don't shave nothing and they just don't have like hair on their huh. Yeah. So Jeez. don't apply turmeric to your hair every day just yeah. in case you thought of like your head. <laughs> yeah. Just in case you thought of doing that. Cause... If turmeric is powerful enough to remove blemishes and hair, I want that thing <laughs> power cleaning my intestinal tract. Jeez. Yeah. I mean wow. it's like over a long period. Doing it once won't help. Yeah. For hair. Yeah. If someone wants to try that. Mm-hmm. But it also leaves your skin a bit yellow for a couple of days. Huh. All right. So, yeah, when next time you're going to go um, make yourself a dish, you know, put red onion in there instead and, and put it put a quarter teaspoon of turmeric on. Um, a little a day is, is great. And um, it, <laughs> last episode, I remember I mentioned. So about that, you guys are not crazy. There is no last episode because the previous episode did not make the cut. Happy listening! Um, uh, how a cup of beans a day increases your life expectancy by three to four years. Mm. And very interestingly, the um, people in Costa Rica, um, the average life expectancy there is three to four years longer than in the United States. And I find that very uncanny. There's got to be some type of correlation. There's probably other reasons. They're, they're a lot less stressed down there. Uh, we're workaholics in the United States. Probably stress has something to do with it. And um, it, it could be, um, it's very hard to control for things in nutrition studies. You know, is it the chicken or the egg? And um, Genetics. Is it, yeah, genetics. Is it because they're eating less of something else versus eating mm-hmm. when they're eating beans? But um, I try... Especially when you're trying to eat plant-based, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm working my way there. I'm vegetarian. Um, the leg- legumes and beans, great way to get your protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where Indians get it from. Yeah. Yeah. In most of them, it's, it's like a... Uh, traditionally, that's where people get their protein from. Um, it's kind of a first world thing to be able to have chicken every day. Yes. Um yeah. But also, I'm surprised that Costa Rica has a longer life expectancy because even though we eat beans and legumes mm-hmm. and red rice and turmeric, we still die a good 10 years yeah. before Americans. Although we also, I think m- medical care also has something to do with that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's still complex. In, in, in Costa Rica, they have a very good, um, they have a, a better medical care than mm-hmm. in the United States. So that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's better than the United States. Better than the United States. Wow. 
Yeah, well, our medical care is, there's a lot of problems with that. Yeah, India's medical care, we do have free hospitals everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if you're desperate enough, poor enough, you can always go to a government mm-hmm. hospital. And they're not terrible. Yeah. Um, like, my parents used to go to a government hospital back in the day. But um, also sanitation and, mm-hmm. yeah, in the rural places, I've heard even the government hospitals or even private options aren't great yeah the um author of my book uh praises indian food as uh one of the holy grails of a plant-based diet but he says where traditional wisdom fails is you guys use ghee a lot in your cooking which is clarified butter which do not tell me anything about (laughs) ghee right now (laughs) because well it's just the same as butter it's attributed to um uh there's uh there indians have a lot i forget exactly what the the one disease is but for all of the lower disease risks that you have there's one thing connected to ghee that you have, we have a lot for. of diabetes is that it it's i think that's what it is diabetes we have, yeah we have, we have a diabetes epidemic we have white yeah. rice and yeah ghee. that yeah yeah and that's where um, you have to take everything with a grain of salt it's yeah it's a balance guys i'm not stopping ghee anytime soon but <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. better than butter for you, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that. Okay. That's that's my spiel. I've, I've, I'm going to get off my soapbox. I yes. want to hear uh, what you have to say, Esther. I want to talk about um, a little bit about how nutrition is so different for different people. And one of the things that goes with that is dairy um, because... You've probably seen those jokes. I don't know if you've seen that joke that goes, let me drink my cup of coffee. Um, Stop interrupting me. Let me drink my cup of coffee because they're about to change the benefits of coffee to bad again and I need to drink the (laughs) coffee before that happens. So dairy, I feel like, is one of those things. Um, And even in specific instances, uh, for example, I have PCOS and even with PCOS, in general, like dairy is supposed to be bad for you, but even then some people are like, absolutely no dairy. In some cases, it's, you can have dairy, it's, you're still getting protein and vitamins as opposed to eating some junk. Mm-hmm. So it's so complex. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's no point in going through research for that because the research is literally evenly split. And I think one of the main reasons for that is because our health needs are all so different. Um, for example, men need a lot more protein uh, because they're just larger mm-hmm. than women. They have more uh, That's muscle. That's how people typically describe me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, uh, they have more muscle, so they need more protein and so on. Um, well, on the other hand, like women need more calcium. Um, and, you know, even men and women mm-hmm. are different. So these studies are never have a consensus. Is yeah. dairy good for you or bad for you? And another thing, um, which is why, like we said in the beginning, it's so important to experiment and see what feels right for you. Mm. If you give up dairy and you're feeling sluggish or you're feeling weak or um, maybe it was your main source of vitamin D and you didn't even know it. But going off of that, another thing um, that dairy tells us is um, genetics, the role genetics plays in nutrition because the gut is so complex and uh, there is no, you know, one rule fits all situation. 
So for with dairy, obviously there's lactose intolerance, and for some people that's like straight up sitting in the bathroom for like a day after eating a cheese pizza. Uh, but for most of us, actually, we do not digest milk. So while it is accurate that milk has protein and calcium and vitamins, if you don't digest all of that from the milk, it's useless. Yeah. Um, and you're just getting the fat and calories out of it and sugar mm. um, and hormones too because milk is actually you know it comes straight out of an animal it's meant for its children to grow and um, and and that's who people get cow's hormones so yeah well have idea. you heard about the the problem with girls going through puberty mm-hmm. early in the United States uh, mm-hmm. yeah from the all over hormones. the world yeah everywhere now you know populations increasing uh, you gotta give hormones to cows and hens so they grow faster, so you can get more meat, and it's uh, not a good situation. Um, but lactose intolerance, one thing I found a few years ago when I was doing my intense dairy research phase mm. was that lactose intolerance is one of those things that thankfully is very region specific, so you can have a better idea of if, if you should be using dairy or not based on um, where you are from. And that's a little bit more complicated than that because it's not literally where you live, but more where you are from. Um, mm-hmm. So if you look up lactose intolerance maps, unfortunately I can't show you this, but I'm going to show Clayton. Oh, but if you look up at lactose <laughs> intolerance maps, there's two kinds. One is a is a map that in which America isn't included, and yes, and that's because that map is about um, it's about the indigenous population from those places. Yeah. Um, so, like, Native Europeans, Native Indians, Like, whatever. thousands of years ex- Yeah. Ago. Okay. And I know that there are Native Americans, but we don't have... Well, they're map. originally Asiatic people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, they're all African originally, but yeah. Yeah. So, as you can see from here, um, Europeans... Australia's just blank, because... Yeah. I don't know why. But as you can see... Um, Europeans have the highest lactose tolerance. They can digest lactose the best, and even uh, North Africa has better lactose tolerance, and then Southern is worse. And as, actually, if you can see in India, uh, inside of India, like North and Northwestern India, like Punjab and Pakistan, they digest lactose better, and coincidentally eat a ton ton of, le- of milk and butter and cream and everything. Yeah. Punjabi people eat so much dairy products and in the south we don't. And apparently a theory for this is that um, people who didn't have sun evolved to get vitamin D from their milk. Mm. So they're just better at getting vitamin wow. D from milk. Um, so for people like me who um, didn't need vitamin D from milk because, I mean, you, you may not know this, but I'm from southern India. We got 12 hours of bright, bright, killing sun <laughs> every day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, super hot place close to the equator. Um, we didn't need to get vitamin D from milk. Yeah. Um, so now that I live in a place where you don't get vitamin D from the sun and I can't get it from milk, I just take a supplement. Yeah, I take vitamin D supplement as well. Yep, I was chronically low on vitamin D when my first blood test I got here. So that's something to watch out for yeah. if you're thinking about dairy. Yeah, I mean, if you you can look this up, but if you live above a certain latitude, there's literally parts of the year where even if you go outside at peak sun intensity, your body will not mm-hmm. produce vitamin D. Um, so, yeah, if you if you live at high latitude, you likely should be taking a vitamin D supplement. 
And the second map here is actually of the people who live now. Um, the three, excuse me, the three main continents that have lactose tolerance now are North America, Europe, and Australia. Which is where all the Europeans went. Which <laughs> is where all the white people went, more or less. So, white people, mm-hmm. you're pr- you can still have dairy, mostly. <laughs> it's not as bad for you, because you get good things from it more. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's not a hard and fast rule, but... Yeah. Um, another thing, from dairy, fermented food, which... Did you read about that in your book? Oh, yeah. Fermented food is so good for you, um, and... that comes from dairy that's not a random connection that comes from dairy because um so many of the research papers or articles or stuff i've read about dairy has said you know if you still need that vitamin d and you want that easy like relatively healthy source of protein that's not meat eat yogurt instead um and yogurt is not only does not only does it give you all those good things from milk but it's also fermented, which is good because your gut has like millions of bacteria in it. And just like we want to avoid the bad bacteria, um, like E. coli, we also want to eat good bacteria because it is good for your gut health. And your gut is essentially run by, you are run by bacteria. So you want to do what your gut wants and your gut wants good bacteria. So give it good bacteria. Um, some other examples of probiotics or fermented foods are like kimchi, kombucha. Um, can't think of any anything else other than yogurt and those two. But I think those are the more common ones. Pickle? <laughs> I'm thinking. Are pickles fermented? No, they're not. They're pickled. There's another good one that I'm forgetting. Yeah. Kefir. I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, kefir is also like a Middle Eastern fermented drink. It's like dairy-based. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, also, my book talks about um, how not only are probiotics good for you, which is supplementing your gut with the actual good bacteria that break down the food, but you also want to give those bacteria food. Um, and that's called prebiotics. Um, which is uh, really um, the, the best f- food for your gut bacteria are is fiber, mm-hmm. um, because yes. it's just a just a lot of what your uh, you don't break can't break down fully without your gut bacteria and that they feast on in your in your digestive tract. Mm-hmm. Another thing that probiotics is good for is because actually these good bi- bacteria bacteria <laughs> can produce vitamins while they're in your gut. Um, like vitamin B12 and so mm-hmm. on. So, yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. amazing. Um, I've heard with the um, the the dairy thing too. I, I know a lot of people, uh, mostly vegans, um, you know, who are against animal treatment. They're also against milk for uh, a lot of people think milk is a symbol of uh, the oppression, basically because it's only white people can tolerate it. And they don't drink milk and have dairy uh, to fight against that. Have you heard? Have you heard of I that? I have not heard this yeah. because I would not say that only white. I mean, only white people maybe can tolerate dairy, though. But as you can see, also, like in India, northwestern India, they can tolerate dairy very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Now that I've seen <laughs> so, that, I didn't know that. Um, India 
So the second map, which is like current day residents overall, India says it's less lactose tolerant, but that's that's not really fair because India is so complex. Yeah. So like North yeah. Indian still, and my parents, we also grew up drinking milk, just not as much. Yeah. Which is still what I do. I mean, actually, I don't drink milk. I do yogurt and stuff, but mm-hmm. I still do sour cream and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, my my book talks. <laughs> I love milk. When I was little, I would always, oh. when he came home and I was five, be like, can I have a glass of milk? <laughs> <laughs> and like, eight at night. It's, and I, and I, first, milk was ruined for me because I have bad heartburn. I have chronic heartburn. And so um, dairy stays in your stomach. Um, normal food stays in your stomach for two hours and dairy stays in your stomach for six hours. Wow. So I don't eat dairy after, um, to a degree, after 4 p.m. So that it's fully digested by the time I go to bed. And then my book was like, well, dairy increases your risk for a lot of diseases as well. Um, and I have a high risk of prostate cancer in my um, family. And uh, dairy, uh, milk and cheese greatly increase your risk of prostate cancer. So We just uh, had cheese with our meal. Yeah, we had, we had cheese. I had a lot of cheese today. Um, so, but, but with all these, um, studies, there's always the asterisk knocks, the asterisks, not soured milk or yogurt. Um, they, 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 like, okay, let me back up. Um, what I found very interesting is in the United States, which the United States, which I think has a lot to do with the fact that we have a huge milk industry. We raise a lot of cows, and so there's a lot of um, financial interests to have the got milk posters and everything. Um, the uh, eh, So we're always told milk makes your bones stronger. But actually, um, uh, according to several studies, milk doesn't reduce risk of bone, bone fractures. Um, and in, in several cases, actually increases your risk of bone <laughs> fractures. Um, and increases your chance of premature death. But in these studies, for example, soured milk and yogurt do not contribute to that. Because oh. they take out, you see what I'm saying now? Gotcha. They take out the, the lactose and, and the yeah, um, other because enzymes. Because the bacteria themselves predigest the lactose, right? Yeah. That's what fermentation yeah. is. Um, yeah, we eat a ton of sour yogurt. So in yogurt goes sour, we also have a drink which we call buttermilk, but it's not really buttermilk. It's just sour mm-hmm. yogurt, like whipped with water mm. and spices obviously because we put spices in everything spices. Um, and salt and pepper and stuff and that's a pretty good it's like our own fermented drink mm-hmm. i make that all the time with yogurt so if yogurt goes bad maybe you could try this it's called lassi l-a-s-s-i listeners and you clayton oh thank you <laughs> yeah when yogurt goes sour in your fridge and you're like oh man i gotta throw this out now it tastes good with like salt and um huh. What other spices do I add in it? Mostly just salt and pepper. I also had something called asafetida, but you might not have access to that. So, um, yeah. yeah. Good to know. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, I, I think we've, uh, we've given you guys some good stuff to work with. Um, we, we just wanted to um, put, some, put some final thoughts onto this um, that I, I think regardless of what you choose to eat there's some uh truths that are your universal um and i think one of those is that you have a lot of power over your health and what you eat is one of the most important predictors of disease risk you are what you eat very much 
Um, and it, in my book, it, it, um, the introduction really completely breaks down how, according to um, several studies and meta-analyses, and you basically have uh, 70% of your overall disease risk is lifestyle-based. Only 30% of it is hereditary. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, my, my parents had heart disease. I'm just going to have it. I, it is what it is. No, 70% of your risk is, is what you choose to do with your life. Um, most, everyone I talk to thinks that breast cancer is, you know, if my, my mom had it, I'm going to have it too. But mm-hmm. only the book talks about only 2.5% of breast cancer cases are hereditary. The wow. rest are lifestyle based. So, um, it's, it's very important what you, um, what you choose to do. So be mindful of what you put in your body. We have a lot of junk here in the United States. Um, if you're from the United States, so it's especially important. And then some foods are better than others. You know, I'm not going to tell you don't eat meat or do eat meat, but, you know, a salmon is better than bacon. Um, and uh, processed meats are actually on the, the um, like, the list of 50 things to do to avoid cancer risk is to cut out processed meats entirely. Just my fun tip of the day. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to not eat. Don't eat meat, though. Well, I can throw facts at you and hope some of them stick. Next week's episode will be about career fulfillment. And we're going to look at some surprising stats about how people view their jobs and careers in the United States. We hope to answer the question on how much choosing a career uh, affects your happiness by the end of the episode. So as always, remember to stay safe, wear a mask, and keep asking those questions. That's a wrap.